Welcome back to 5050 Films. I'm Autumn. And I'm Peter. And for you, this is going to be a normally scheduled episode that comes out at a normal time, but for us, this was a really uh, weird week <laughs> for figuring so out last minute when to watch movies and then when to record. But we're here and we're ready. Even though this first movie Peter's going to talk about, I think we watched over a week ago at this point. Yes, it was last Monday, I believe. <laughs> Bottle Shock is a 2008 comedy drama film starring Alan Rickman, Bill Pullman, and Chris Pine. At the beginning of the movie, we see morose British unifile Steven Spurrier have the idea to hold a French versus American wine tasting in 1976, the American Bicentennial. To do this, he travels to California where the crew of Chateau Montalena is racking their Chardonnay. The main conflict of the movie is between the Montalena crew as interpersonal relationship issues and the Chardonnay turning brown provide the most stress for the characters. By the end of the movie, the Montalena Chardonnay oxidizes back to the proper color, and two bottles are used in the famous wine tasting. To the chagrin of the French, many of the Californian wines prove superior in the blind taste test cementing their popularity in the wine world, especially as Time Magazine and radio shows pick up the news, causing people to flock to stores asking for a vintage they do not have. All right, I don't have your ratings this week. I gave this one four stars. I think this is probably a four-star movie for yeah. me. It was very good. solidly good. Yes. Enjoyable. Loved seeing Alan Rickman. Um... Peter said it in our Instagram post, but my main thought with this movie is, like, if someone had told me beforehand that there was a movie that starred Alan Rickman and Chris Pine together, I probably would have laughed. Like, I, I would not have been able to picture that. But somehow it just works. It really does. Yeah, it really does. Um, and Bill Pullman also, you know, mm -hmm. excellent acting from Bill Pullman. Great actor. Um, really, you know, kind of cool to see. Um, this... I don't know if it won any awards. Um, I saw that it premiered. It was a Sundance premiere movie. Oh, okay. So one of those, like, fancy, you know, kind artsy. of things. Yeah, artsy. Uh, it was fun. I liked it. It was fun. I really love a focus on family dynamics, and I feel like this one does that well. Um, Bill Pullman, in particular, his acting is so great because he really shows this, like, conflict of interest <laughs> between he has left a, a career as a partner in a law office to kind of like see if he can make it work on a vineyard and like running his own vineyard and making his own wine and we can like see this it becomes very apparent throughout the movie like how much of a leap he took and how much debt he's put himself in and how it's straining his relationship with his son who you know really does care about the vineyard but maybe doesn't do the best job of showing that he really cares about his job at the vineyard and the family business. And there's just a lot of, like, internal conflict that you can see on the characters' faces. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, thought, I, I think it's great. So, like, one of the things they do in this movie, um, and I hope you didn't just say this, but... Um, oh, you weren't listening? When they have conflict, um, they fight each other. I like, did not say that. They they go out, they they so like at one point, which is what Peter and I are gonna do. We're yeah. gonna get a boxing ring. Yeah, they have a the boxing backyard. ring out outdoor <laughs> boxing ring at the farm, or at the vineyard, and uh, yeah, the you know Jim Barrett and Bo Barrett, uh, whenever they have a like a like a a disagreement, they go out and fight in the boxing ring, put gloves on, and just slug at each other. 
um, which I thought was really great. Honestly, it was very funny, uh, <laughs> especially with the abrupt way they introduce it. Mm-hmm. They're, like, they're like, "You stubborn old man!" And then it just like jump cuts to him getting punched in the face, yeah. basically, um, which is very good. Sorry if my voice is scratchy today. Um, I'm not sick, but I think I blew it out a couple of days ago, and it's been too dry to heal effectively. But yeah, I mean, honestly, this movie—it was just really enjoyable throughout. Like it was like it was—it had this the fun vibe. There's a really funny part where um, the, uh, Jim Barrett and Steven Spurrier are having an argument, and he's is Steven Spurrier says something like something effective. You think I'm an asshole, but I'm not. I'm British, mm-hmm. <laughs> just British, and you don't understand how how we like talk about things, which I thought was really funny. Um, it's like a great line, mm-hmm. uh, and oh man, the the whole uh, at, at the end when we find out that the Montalena Chardonnay has won for Chardonnay, um, he like he goes, <laughs> he's like, "Do you have a change of clothes?" He like grabs his bag, and it, it, like it, like. You you know that they won, but mm-hmm. like it like acts like he's gonna kick him out or something like that, and it's he's just like he's like put something respectable on, and and he it's like wait what does he say? He says something to the effect of, um, no matter what they say, they're going to say a lot of things to you. Yeah, he's like prepping him to be bullied. Prepping him to be like <laughs> to be bullied, and just because he you know he knows that they're gonna be mad at him for winning, right? Mm-hmm. Um. And he has this whole cool little like, uh, like uh, mono monologue. Is it a monologue? Monologue at the end where he talks about how like we're gonna be drinking all kinds of wines now. It's not just going to be French and Italian wines anymore. It'll be or mostly French, but you know what I yeah. mean. Like it won't just be French wines anymore. It'll be like South American wines and Australian wines, and which is true. Like people drink all shitload of Australian wine, and they drink. You know, Californian wine, like, you go to a, if you go to a restaurant, the Californian wines are going to be the most expensive wines, and the French wines are going to be there, and they'll be cheaper somehow, you know, just spend like $30 for a bottle of French wine, or $150 for the fancy California wine, um, like, it, it's crazy, right? <laughs> uh, and I mean, it's, it's just, it's absolutely wild that, that, that this was like a, kind of a gimmick that this guy was doing just to, you know, to promote his own business kind of and like strengthen his bonds within the wine world. And he basically just became a pariah because he he proved to the world that California made better wine than the French. (laughs) Um, There's a little blurb at the end that like sort of gives you a little bit more backstory. I think in actuality, a different different, um, chateau from California won first place, something like that. And Montalena came third or something like that. I don't know. They were talking about it weird. Um, it was a little confusing towards the end. But I guess there was bottles in the Smithsonian mm-hmm. um, of, of each of these wines that's just, like, sitting there uh, as, as, like, you know, I think it was the American History Museum um, as, like, proof of, of the, like, yeah. the event. Because it's one of those, like, big things. Um, super neat. And I guess he held a, another one in, like, the 80s. Uh, expecting French wines to win again, and then they just, they all stay lost again. <laughs> it's like, uh, the, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know a whole lot about wine. Um, my dad knows a lot about winemaking. Um, and I picked this movie on a whim. Yeah. Which I think has worked out really well in my favor this time. 
I really enjoyed the the friendship dynamics for the most part as well because you have Bo and then his friend Gustavo who also works on the vineyard and then you have Sam a woman who comes to be an intern and she like stays in this little cabin on the property and um they they go to a bar and they've got their little gimmick they do where Gustavo can you know name the vintage and and the date of of a wine and that's how they make money and you know sometimes they Sometimes he can actually do it, and sometimes they, like, cheat the system to make the extra money. Um, the one thing that I didn't like as much about this movie, and it was not enough to, like, subtract any points, so to say, but I really loved the Gustavo plot line of him making his own wine and his own conflict with Bo's dad, and then he and Sam, like, have a very passionate moment. And I liked them together a lot. They made sense to me together. But then it feels like for the sake of the movie, she ends up with Chris Pine's character just because, like, he's the lead and that's what makes sense. Whereas to me, like, she had so much more chemistry with Gustavo and they they both were, like, so much more similar as far as, like, their ambition and things like that. Um, like I said, it doesn't matter enough because romance is not the main point of this movie no. at all. Um so it doesn't matter enough to, like, make it any less good. But it is one thing. It's like, oh, that would have been so... Yeah. I just wanted them together. Got the girl. Yeah. Yeah. And I would have liked more Gustavo in general because I just found his character arc to be interesting. Um, as this kid who, like, has been working on a vineyard and, like, really wants to set out on his own and, and make his own wine and has been kind of going behind his employer's back to figure out how to do this. And I don't know. What we need to talk about is the the whole uh, brown wine debacle. Yes. So apparently, um, so so at one point, and this is the main the main like big conflict aside mm-hmm. from the interpersonal stuff, is this wine like if this batch of wine doesn't go well. He's got a, the the bank owns the vineyard at this point. Yeah, he's so, in a lot of debt. So yeah. Um, so what happens is. Uh, as he's bottling, he reala- he finds out that the, the wine is brown in the bottles, somehow. Like, it's just brown. It tastes fine, mm-hmm. but it's brown. Uh, and so he, like, freaks out, gets the guy to cart all the wine away, um, while the other, well, you know, his son and Sam go out to, to like, they meet up with a professor from UC Davis mm. um, to, like, who, like, tells, talks to him about it, and he's like, this is really rare, but, like, supposedly somehow you've managed to introduce so little air to the the mix that the wine there's like a specific reaction where the wine stays brown yeah so you made it too perfectly yeah it's too perfect and there's not enough oxygen in it so it it turns brown briefly until inside the bottle it shifts back to normal clear yellow chardonnay but they find this out after he's already gotten rid of all the boxes which is very stressful. Yeah. Um, and his dad, like, it, it's like this huge, like, freak out moment where his dad's, like, already, like, you know, going back to his former job and, you know, his his boss is acting all high and mighty. And his boss is his ex-wife's husband. Yeah, and it's just this disaster. Um, and, yeah, and then they find out that, oh, it's, it's actually fine. He goes, he tastes the wine and everything. Um, because the woman who owns the bar where they're always doing these little bets bought all the wine. She bought all the wine. She saw it. A couple of the guys came in for a drink or whatever, the guys who were trucking it to the, mm-hmm. and they were like, they're like, 
do you want to recycle the glass or whatever like or something like that mm-hmm. and they sold her for like incredibly cheap back all of this wine mm-hmm. um and she said and she asked just to keep a, a case yeah i guess um which is crazy i mean like that wine must have sold for ridiculous amounts of money like like crazy amounts of money one of the funnier, one of the funny parts about this movie is Steven Steven Spurrier's like tour of all these Californian vineyards. Right, he keeps insisting on paying for tastings, <laughs> presumably because that's how it works in France. You yeah. have to pay for the for the tasting experience. But this is like pre, you know, Napa Valley is like the wine capital of the right. world. So they're all just like, I don't know, five dollars. You know, like yeah. like they basically just like have him pay everybody five bucks. Because they're like, you can just have some of the wine. Like, you, we don't really give a shit, you know? Uh, one of the ladies even lets um, Bo Barrett, like, draw some wine for him to taste. Like, they don't even yeah. care. It's like, yeah, go ahead. They're over there. <laughs> you know? Um, so that was pretty funny. Because, uh, like, now you pay, like, hundreds of dollars to do, like, tastings at different vine- vineyards. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, like, it's kind of crazy. And it's very, it's just like very awkward and funny every time he's like, uh, where do I put the money? He's like, just stick it on this barrel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, in order to get all the bottles to the UK, um, because oh, there's yeah, a, there's a two part. bottle or like a one bottle a person limit, one. Yep. uh, on, for like, for the airline, um, they, he, in, uh, Bo, Bo Barrett enlists the help of everyone who's in line to take this Parisian flight. And they each take one bottle of this wine as on their carry-on, in order to help them out. Basically, which is really nice mm-hmm. of them, honestly. Um, and uh, yeah, it <laughs> it was it was pretty cool. Everyone like kind of begrudge some of the some of them a little more begrudgingly than others take a bottle of the wine uh, <laughs> to to ferry them over to Paris, which is kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. Did you know about this movie before you picked it? No, absolutely no. not. I was. We had just watched Iron Claw. I've been watching these racing biopics and, like, you know, little historical, you know, movies. And I was like, I'm feeling like, I, I, it was like, this is the story of the 1976, you know, wine tasting. I was like, uh, Chris Pine, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I clicked the button. Chris Pine with very long 70s hair, which looks Young ass Chris Pine. I mean, it's not that young. It's 2008, you know, it's like, what? How long ago was 2008? I thought it was 2011. 2008. 16 oh. years ago? I'm not doing math. I think. I'm off the clock. It was 16 years ago. Um, so, I mean, you know, I probably Chris Pine at, like, what, 30? In his 20s, maybe? I don't know how old Chris Pine is now. He's probably 50. That's my guess. Oh, okay. He might not be. He might be. He might be older than 50. Not older than 60. I put him in like late forties, fifty maybe. Okay, you love to speculate things about things that you don't know when yeah, you could that just we could not just click on his face or... and see how old he is. But you know, it's it's fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I he, much younger Chris Pine, really long hair, really disconcerting because yeah, you don't see Chris Pine with long hair anymore at all. Um, yeah, I didn't think it was Chris Pine. I don't think when, when I you first when I clicked on it? on it, I didn't know Alan Rookman was in the movie either. I know, when I saw his name come up on the screen, I was like, what is going on? I saw Chris Pine, and I don't know who the hell I thought it was. I might have thought it was, uh, I might have thought it was Brad Pitt. Oh, okay. Because of the long hair. Yeah. Which doesn't make a lot of sense, because I don't know if, how many movies I've seen Brad Pitt with long hair in. He has, like, a longer hairish now, I guess, or you see him with, like, kind of the semi-longer yeah. hair. 
Um, but I don't know what I was thinking. I was like, I don't know. Sure. <laughs> and I was like, that sounds interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, hopefully this this next week's gonna be weird. So you know, we'll see where I what I pick next. I know you watched a movie this week, so I, I will let you take take it away. I watched Ford v Ferrari, and I wish that you had watched that movie. But oh well. <laughs> um, Paul Paul was talking about. We, we I determined that I was going to watch it over the weekend. Autumn was at home. Um, so I got to do a bunch of stuff alone. Um, so I got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about. Um, and yeah, I watched, uh, I watched all four versus Ferrari. It was fantastic. Um, it's Christian Bale and Matt Damon. Uh, and they're both real good. And I honestly, I mean, I can't, I can't really describe it much beyond it's the story of, um, the story of when Ford Motor Company was kind of failing it was it was like it was stagnating they were losing losing business losing money um i believe it's the 60s might have been the 70s but i'm pretty sure it was the 60s um and they uh yeah it's probably the 60s they, they one of the one of the executives had the idea of Hey, I think we need to we need to we need to become like do racing, and they were like, well, we already do racing, we do NASCAR, and he's like, no, we need to like do like the world worldwide racing, not just regional, you know, in America racing, um, and so they they have this bid to go buy Ferrari, um, which Ferrari then uses to leverage money to get bought out by Fiat, keep full control of his company, and fuck over Ford. And then that, and the way that he insult, the way that Enzo Ferrari insults Henry Ford II, um, is so. It, 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 Henry Henry Ford II goes, "What exactly did he say about me?" And they tell him everything, and Henry Ford II goes, "We're getting into racing, and I'm going to crush this old fucker into the ground." Um, and uh, that's the whole like the whole impetus for this whole thing. And they get Carol Shelby, played by Matt Damon. Um, Shelby already and, like makes his own cars, right? Uh, and what and won Le Mans. He's the only American to have won Le Mans race, which is a twenty-four hour long race um, in France uh, that the international circuit like competes in, right? Uh, so he had won Le Mans, and <laughs> because of that, they they're like they're like we need you on the team they get him on the team and he has this guy that he really likes and knows is a good driver and good racer named ken miles played by christian bale um and then the whole movie is like the internal politics with the ford racing area and you know shelby american and all that stuff um and it's it's all about ken miles and his his help in creating the ford gt40 which is like the first ford supercar that they use for the le mans race um, and then it, it contains the Le Mans race and all the politics involving that. Um, and then it ends uh, with Ken Miles' death uh, at, on, as a test driver for the in, in improving the GT40 as a race car, um, which is very sad. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, it's it's just fantastic. Like, you get to learn about this guy that I've never heard of, but I'm sure other people had. Um, and it was like most of us were in the call watching the movie, and it was really good. It's a really good time. Fantastically done. It no no wonder it had Oscar nominations, right? Like it was just so good. 
Hmm. Okay. Um, TV together. We've watched a little bit of Veep. I think we're in season four. Are we in season four? Yes. So we've made it to season four of yep. Veep. Uh, we haven't watched a ton because, again, I wasn't nope. home. Um, and when I was home, we had to make sure we watched movies. Uh, as far as TV separately, I'm still watching Sex Lives of College Girls with my friend Gina. This last episode we watched had the biggest cliffhanger. Uh, and actually, <laughs> Peter's going to be out of town this weekend. Uh, and so Gina and I have plans to watch uh, hopefully quite a few episodes because usually we just get to one a week. Uh, but we would like to be able to get, like, actually make a dent in this show because the episodes are 40 minutes long. Um, so yeah, I don't know what, uh, what Peter has watched. He's getting a cough drop. Um, my apologies. Um, I can feel my throat, like, starting to get more ragged as I continue I to talk. they care about that. Well, they don't care about that, but it's gonna mess, my voice can get worse and worse. <laughs> um, so yeah, I watched a shitload of stuff. Um, all of it was anime. Uh, I I watched exactly half of Amy Warrior at the Borderline with Depeche. We're at the halfway point, second arc. Um, so 12 episodes left of that. I can, I watched a couple more episodes of Fryerin at Journey's End, um, which is very hard-hitting and, and crazy. Um, I've been watching uh, a show called My, like, My Instant Death Ability is Overpowered. That's real good. <laughs> I gotta pull up the list for some of these because some of these are... The, the names are a little wild. Um, I watched a couple of those at Mob Psycho 100. Uh, I'm trying to continue that. It's very good and I want something I'm watching by myself. Um, the things that I'm keeping up with right now are The Wrong Way to Use Healing Magic, which I think I've talked about on the podcast already. Mm -hmm. The Strongest Tanks, Labyrinth Raids, a tank with a rare 999 resistance skill, something or other. It's too long for the app to continue the name... <laughs> Um, I, uh, I, with Alex, I, we caught up almost on high card. We have, we have the new episode of the new season to watch. Um, but that's real good. Uh, I, I'm watching Classroom of the Elite season three with Alex. Um, we're still doing SLF, but I don't think I watched any of those episodes this weekend. Uh, there's one called The Weakest Tamer Began a Journey to Pick Up Trash. Um, that I started watching, that one's very cutesy and heartfelt. Um, and, I mean, I just there's just a shitload of, of anime. But, uh, yeah, the main two I watched were Aim and High Card with Alex. We, we got, really got a lot of those episodes, like, cleared through. I think I watched, like, seven of each, almost. Um, and, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's been very good. Both of them have been very good. High Card was very fun, very well, like, very pretty animations. Um, Amame is a, uh, it's a mech anime and it's got a, you know, it's like a freedom fighter story. Surprisingly heartfelt and, like, pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, that's where I'm at for those. Alright, the reason I was not home this weekend is because I went on a reading retreat with my book club. Did not do as much reading as I wanted to, but I was worried I was, like, not going to do any reading. So I am proud of the amount of times I actually, like, sat down with the book. Because when you're in a house with you know, seven other people, and there's other options, like, talking, or... We talked about books a lot. <laughs> um, but I finished... I was reading uh, What You're Looking For is in the Library by Michiko Aoyama, uh, which I'm reading for my virtual book club, so not the people I was on the retreat with, um, but my friends from back home. 
Uh, and I think I said this in the last episode and it kind of continued the same way. I loved the first story. The whole idea is that there's this library at a community center and the librarian always knows exactly what book someone needs, even if they don't know what that is going to be. Uh, and so the first story like really hit me hard. I think cause the main character was like closer in my age and it just like the themes were relevant to me. Um, and I enjoyed all of the other stories, but they didn't like, if it was just like that one story, I think it would have been a five star, but I ended up giving it 3.5. And then, um, I brought the book Wayward by Amelia Hart with me because, um, a lot of the women in my book club who have the similar reading taste to me really enjoyed that book. And it took me like three pages to know that I was going to love it um, because the writing style just really works for me and it's multiple perspective, but I care about all the perspectives. Um, it's, it's witchy, um, but in like a Salem witch trials, herbal witchy kind of way, like I, it feels very like magical realism, even though it's like more historical than anything. Uh, and I'm just really enjoying it. I'm about halfway through which is about as much as I read um, on the reading retreat. Uh, life kind of hit me hard as soon as I got back, so I haven't been able to pick it up since. Uh, but I'm looking forward to doing that soon, and when Peter's out of town, hopefully I will get a lot of reading done too. I have quite a few library books out right now um, because I, I just... Uh, my, my eyes are bigger than my stomach, but in a, in a book way instead of a food way. <laughs> um, and... Are you going to read any yeah. books about Benedict Cumberbatch? Oh, I have a book another person from book club recommended called This Is Not a Book About Benedict Cumberbatch, which is like a book about this woman uh, just like talking about the joy of being obsessed with something, which uh, the woman in my book club who recommended it said it was her favorite book of the year. So I think I'll really enjoy it. So who knows? Who knows? I got that. I've got The Seven Year Slip from the Library by Ashley Poston. That's our February book club book for my in-person book club, and then I also have Know My Name by Chanel Miller, which is a memoir I think I'll fly through. Um, so I thought that was for school for you. What? I thought that was for school for you. Not Know My Name. The one above it, The Dream Keepers. Uh, that one definitely Lance was, and Billings. Yeah. yeah, that's for school. Yeah. I, I read the tagline on it when I picked it up. I bought four books, but two were for Peter. So Yes. Technically, I, got... I only bought as many books as I read. She got hmm. me the the next two um, Stormlight Archive books, which is good, because I think I want to catch up with that before I read Mistborn. Um, I haven't started The Timekeeper. Or I think it's called The Timekeeper from by Brian L. Forward. I think it's Brian L. Forward. <laughs> I have no idea. The Dude, dust, I have no I idea. Robert dust, L. Forward. It's Robert L. Forward. The dust jacket's I'm, in our bedroom. It's yes, not in it here. Is. <laughs> um, I believe it's called The Timekeeper. I have that at work. Um, I'm, prob I'm not going to read it this week. Um, but I opened it up. Um, what I am reading right now is Naruto. I started reading Naruto. I'm a, I'm at chapter 170-something, I think. Um, I need to get to chapter 245 before MAGFest. That's my goal. Oh, okay. Um, because chapter 245 is the end of Naruto and the beginning of Naruto Shippuden, which is the post-time skip, like, they're all older and, like, actually ninjas now kind of thing um whereas right now it's just it's it's like the younger years or whatever um kind of like how dragon ball z is them like older and dragon ball is like them younger or whatever anyway um so i'm loving naruto right now it's very good 
I always kind of shit on it. Because, mostly because people who like Naruto are obsessed with Naruto. And I think that that is cringe. Elementary kids love to do the Naruto run. Yes. That's fair. It's a big thing. Really fucked up that they've seen Naruto in the first place, though. Because Naruto is not for children. There's blood everywhere. People dying left and right. Um, but I mean, I guess it's more for kids than something like Full Metal Alchemist or something like that. But uh, this is, I mean, it's its its really good. I'm really enjoying it. Um, nothing's going to beat One Piece. I like ever for me. Um, but I'm, really, I'm liking it a lot. And uh, there's only 700 chapters of it. Uh, and it does end. Um, once you finish chapter 700, you finish Naruto. Um, and if you want to continue, you can read Boruto, which is the Naruto's son. Um, uh, and yeah, I mean, I'm not going to do that. I don't, at this point, I don't plan on reading Boruto. I've heard it's not nearly as good as Naruto is. Um, so I think I'll just read this and let it be a concise story. And that's where I am with reading. For games... I played absolutely nothing over the weekend. I had planned on playing a whole bunch of that stuff. That's shocking to me. Before, I didn't play absolutely nothing, but before you left, I finished Ghost Recon Wildlands. So technically, I did play games last week. I just didn't play any over the weekend when okay. you were gone. Um, I finished Ghost Recon Wildlands. Finally, I've been playing that game for... I think... Six years? Seven years? Something like that? I think it came out in 2016. Um, and, uh, oh boy, that that game was old. <laughs> it, it aged okay. Um, the, the themes are, like, very much... Ubisoft likes to claim that their games don't have any political merit to them because they're trying to keep conservatives buying them. Every Ubisoft game very clearly has political influence. There are political messages and influences in them. This one, to me, to my interpretation of the story, because my buddy Doug will tell you otherwise, I think this story highlights how unbelievably corrupt the CIA is. Not corrupt, but how unbelievably messed up the CIA is. Like, how, how just completely, like, shitty the organization is. Um, and it also... You you are you you play as a ghost, which is a different um, group. They're like part of the U.S., but like only in like in like technicality, right? Like you get you'd be disowned if you died on a on a mission, right? Um, and you are basically the CIA's lapdog in Bolivia, um, which Bolivia was not very happy that they were the subject of this video game um, because this paints Bolivia as a country absolutely just chock full of narcos and cartel members um so there's that um but it was really fun yeah it's, it's just a fun like map completion continue you know like you know i get a lot of pleasure from from finishing sections of a map in an open world game and like seeing the map go from all bad guy to this is the good the good guys have completed this section of the area until the whole map is good guy and then I like to do the missions afterwards. So after I finish the area, I then go in and, like, clean them up, basically. Um, I'm stupid like that. And this game is an Ubisoft game, so it feeds right into that itch. And so that's what I did, and that's why I played it. Um, other than that, I just played a little bit of Fortnite with John. We're, we're, he's not playing the Battle Royale, but we're playing the 
rocket racing mode where I'm having a lot of fun. Just kind of really short, quick, crazy, fast races. Pretty neat. So I talked a little bit in the beginning about how our timeline for this week was weird. So we watched Bottle Shock over a week ago. Leo, we watched yesterday <laughs> as of recording this. Uh, Leo is a 2023 animated family film starring the voices of Adam Sandler as Leonardo and Bill Burr as Squirtle. The lizard and turtle are both the fifth grade class pets at a Florida elementary school and have been for many years. When Leo discovers that he is 74 years old and likely to only live until 75, he sets out to escape the classroom, its wild fifth grade students, and their frightening new substitute teacher. However, as Leo goes home with each student, he begins to care for them and help them with their problems, and they all grow to love him as well. Jealous of this affection, the, the substitute drives Leo to the Everglades and leaves him there, but has a change of heart when she sees how much the kids care for him and they all go on a rescue mission to find him. The movie ends with the substitute being offered a new job as the kindergarten teacher and Leo and Squirtle being assigned as her class pets. I rated this movie four stars. What did you rate this? I'd probably give this one a four. It was well, four stars all around this week. I laughed. I laughed a few times. I thought it was pretty funny. Um, this movie surprised me in that I did not think that the, the animals talking to each other would translate into them speaking full human English to the kids. I, I didn't realize that either. I was like, holy shit, that's what this movie is? I thought they were just chatting to each other, you know? Right. Um, I mean, and it makes sense once it happens. It's like, oh, okay, I get he's going to help all these kids because he's he's going to be talking to them and giving them, giving them advice. Yeah. Um, they it's... repeatedly called an E.T. thing, which yeah. I thought was really funny. Yeah. Um, and he is just, like, so wise because he sat in a tank and watched kids this age forever with the same problems which like makes it very and he'll like reference past like oh you're just like Susie from 96 or whatever um which is funny so leo is a tuatara mm -hmm. right uh a famously long-lived lizard um more so than iguanas i think they're like they're a kind of iguana or something something similar they're not a kind of iguana but they're like a similar lizard family or something like that um and so he's worried for most of the movie that he's going to die. Mm -hmm. Because he finds out that he's 74, and this one guy says that two Atars live till 75. Mm -hmm. uh, until the end of the movie, when he finds out from other two Atars that their lifespan is actually 110. Mm -hmm. and, and he's still relatively young for the, for the age. Yeah. That was pretty funny. That was funny. It's funny, too, like, at the very beginning... Right after he finds out that he might only live to 75, he's like, I need to figure out how old I am. And Squirrel's like, well, how are you going to do that? And he's like, oh, I'm going to ask the other class pets. And Squirrel's like, well, we only do that during a fire drill. And then the camera pans, and um, Leo is pulling the fire alarm with his tongue so they can go out and talk to the other class pets. And then you get kind of like a glimpse at the the class pets that the other other classes have and... Yeah, I don't know. I love the concept of it. Like, as, as someone who works in an elementary school, I thought it was really fun. And I also, like, I subbed consistently in a fourth grade class last year, so I am I have fifth graders, students who are now fifth graders, that I, like, know very well and am close with, and I felt like this was a really great representation of that age and the things that they care about and that are important to them, but also that there was a lot of diversity in, like, the issues that they faced. Like, you've got a girl who is just, like, 
so self-involved, I guess, in a way, because she doesn't know how else to be. Like, she's the oldest child, and she just, like, wants to talk all the time, and she doesn't know how to make friends, and Leo tells her, like, maybe sometimes you could, like, let other people talk, ask them questions about themselves, and, you know, like, that sort of thing. There's a girl who's, like, super rich, and he (laughs) basically, the way he teaches her is, like, your family's not that great. Like, you guys are just normal people. And that kind of, like, having that expectation off of her kind of makes her a, a nicer a better friend and uh the best one i think is there's this kid eli who is constantly followed around by a drone because his mother is terrified and his father they both contribute actually um he has allergies and they're just like constantly terrified he's going to die uh and his whole existence is is very sad but it's also funny to watch (laughs) online like the drone follows him to school and will, like, spray hand sanitizer on him or push other kids away if they're too close. At one point, it, like, slingshots a mask onto one of the other kids because she's, like, standing too close to him and her temperature is 98.8, you know? That drone throws an alligator into the sun. It does. It, not not at is. this point in the movie, but... <laughs> it's like a super soldier drone. Yeah, the drone is, is a character in and yeah, of itself. It's sentient. Mm-hmm. It has sentience and is capable of... It looks like a DJI, but, yeah, it straight up throws... Just whips a gator into the sun, basically. Yeah. Um, Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yeah, I... I I really enjoyed the... um, Just just the, like, the sort of competition. Well, no, okay. One, One thing I really liked was that... When they're out with the other pets, they they talk about how the names of the pets change constantly. Because mm-hmm. it's not just the same name. They, like, update them for the generation or whatever. Um, and it's, that's really funny. That it's just, like, you know... One year you're Harry name? Potter, the next year you're Cinnabon. Yeah, <laughs> the, the rabbit's now Cinnabon or whatever. Yeah. Um, and what you think is, like, you know, Leonardo and Squirtle, like, come on. Yeah. That turtle's old. He's not been squirrel his whole yeah. life. Yeah. <laughs> I think something that really needs to be addressed when talking about this movie is the animation for the kindergartners. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so funny. The first time I saw it, it, it just like cracked me up. And it, it remains funny throughout the whole movie. Wasn't there a TV show that had like feral kindergartners? Yes. Recess. Yeah. I you like that, that show. show. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a whole movie where the kids like one of the kids ventures out into the kindergarten play area, and they the kindergartners like in that show like have their own system of government, tribal and, society, like, yeah. yeah, yeah. But this this was similar and different. Similar in that they are like feral, but different in that they're not as intelligent. <laughs> or in this, they're just like these mindless bobbleheads essentially with eyes that like look in different directions. <laughs> yeah, and they just like kind of run and babble the whole way through the movie. Um, but they're very funny, and it's very funny in contrast to, like, the fifth graders. And that's, the whole point of the movie is, at the beginning at least, is like, oh, we're going back to school, it's our last year of elementary school, like, we're the big kids, we're the top dogs, like, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I was gonna say something, and I forgot. There's the song at the end about... 
I was going to say, I didn't realize this was a musical. Mm-hmm. Neither did you. It's not super musical. Um, yeah, good. and it's not, like, memorable as a movie, as a musical. Yeah. If I were to talk about this movie, I would not, that would not be, like, in, I mean, we're, we're seven minutes in, almost eight minutes in, and we're just now mentioning it. Like, it's not the first thing that comes to mind, the fact that it's a musical. And there's only, most of the songs, too, are, like, very short. Like, it's not, like, a full song. It's just, like, someone sings a little bit. And then yeah. we, we move on. That's I was cool with that. I liked it. I felt like it, it kept the story flowing better. Yeah. If you were going to have it be a musical. Uh, or the one the one point the their actual teacher starts to sing and she passes it to Mrs. Malkin and Mrs. Holmes. I don't sing. Yeah. <laughs> and then that ends. The song. They don't have the teacher finish <laughs> it. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's a big thing for them too is like they get this teacher and she's supposed to be like the nice, cool, lenient teacher but she's pregnant and she like cannot stop being sick and she's like told by her doctor she needs bed rest so then they get this sub who's like the stereotypical like mean miss viola swamp if you know um that book like just the mean sub she like wants them to read these giant textbooks and you know says the old ways are best that sort of thing and so i don't know she thinks that she is making a big impact on the kids and the principal thinks that she's making a big impact on the kids and it's just kind of funny because the whole time it's the lizard. Oh, <laughs> yep. uh, was fun. It was fun. I don't know that there's much more to say. No, it's a kids that. movie. We don't gotta I, talk forever about a kids movie. You yeah, know? it's hard. To, I would recommend it. I genuinely yeah. would recommend it. It was a really good time. Um, I did want to mention that I picked it because we needed something short. Because I just got back from my reading retreat and we needed to watch a movie, but neither of us were like really feeling it. <laughs> you know, um, and. I was like, okay, I think I'm going to look at the animated, like, Oscars predictions list and just see what's on there. Is it a prediction? And, um, what, the main things on there are Elemental and Spider, and Into the Spider-Verse, or Across the Spider-Verse, I should say. Both of which we've watched. Um, and so, this wasn't, like, super high up on the predictions list, but it was the one on there that I was like, okay, we have access to that, and I genuinely was interested in watching it, uh. So I'm really glad we did, because I think if it hadn't been on that list, there's no way we would watch it, unless it actually did get nominated for an yeah. Oscar. So that is coming up. Uh, it's January 16th when we're recording this. I believe the Oscars uh, nomination list comes out on January 23rd. If you're new around here, you may not know that every year Peter and I watch um, all the Oscars Best Picture nominees, and then we also, we kind of like... <laughs> do a little planning ahead of time and see how many movies we can watch we fit in all the best pictures and then try to fit in um just just extra things that are up for nominations things that look good to us that are up for like best actor best actress that sort of thing so i'm excited to be able to do that soon yeah me too all right well if you're interested in knowing what we're watching ahead of time for the most part if peter remembers to post you can look at 50 50 films podcast Uh, and we will talk to you next time.